This is Place Matters, a podcast at the intersection of race, place, and poverty, where we explore the belief that the path towards ending inequity and promoting prosperity is through the work of holistic neighborhood development. Welcome to a special series focusing on the role of churches in their neighborhoods. During this series on Place Matters, we will talk to leaders, scholars, practitioners, and mobilizers who speak to the joys and challenges of inviting churches into partnership with their neighborhood. I'm Sean Duncan, the Director of Training and Consulting for FCS, and my colleague, David Park, one of our lead consultants, will be your host for this series of Place Matters. In the chaos and confusion of 2020, FCS launched a new experiment. Thanks to the generous support of Lilly Endowment, Inc., we were awarded their Thriving Congregations grant. This grant is a million-dollar, five-year grant that has allowed us to launch and grow a place-based cohort program focused on helping churches and their partners collaborate in the work of loving their neighbor and their neighborhood. But a global pandemic has not been the only nor even the most significant challenge we have faced in this work. We have been and continue to experiment, learn, listen, study, and reflect on the belief that to truly be a thriving congregation means you are committed to the thriving of your neighbor and your neighborhood. So in this series, you hear from our team, from our clients, from our partners, from researchers, and from experts in the field on what it means to be a church that replaces themselves into their neighborhood. In this first episode, two of my team members who have been vital to this process, David Park and Becca Klein, join me to talk about what we're learning three years into this five-year process. So today we're talking about uh, this series and introducing it in the framework of our work with the Lilly Endowment. Mm -hmm. So let's start there. How did this project start and uh, why are we talking about this today? Yeah, yeah. Back in early 2020 when we were all still innocent and had no idea the disaster that was quickly coming down the tracks at us, um, a good friend of mine who had been the recipient of the Lilly Endowment Thriving Congregations Grant at Emory University uh, had said, hey, you, you guys ought to go in for this Thriving Congregations initiative. And I, I looked at it and I was like, man, this is to be a million dollar deal, multi-year, this could be huge for us. But I'm like, hey, you know, like we work with churches, but our industry isn't churches. Our industry is neighborhoods. Like that's a, that's the focus of what we do. Uh, so we kind of went back and forth. He's like, no, this is this is the kind of thing that they should be supporting, even if it's not the kind of traditional thing that they go after. I was like, well... Worst thing that happens is we just spend some time putting documents together and they say no, which is kind of what I expected anyway. Um, but really just began to work through what would it look like to expand a project we'd already started, this thing called City Shapers, of like how do we – could we use this as a chance to grow an initiative that's really helping organizations, which include churches, to really connect deeply to their neighborhoods and to their places um, – uh, and allow and allow there to be some structure and, um, and tools around all of that uh, kind of – Gone with the, so the pit the belief in our pitch to Lily was to say hey if if you're about thriving congregations like FCS's theory would be you will thrive as a congregation in as much as you're connected to your neighborhood and as much as you know your neighbors and that like thriving as a congregation should be 
bound up in the thriving of your neighborhood, right? And the, your ability to participate in that process of addressing inequities, injustices, poverty, other things like that. So anyway, so we kind of made this pitch to say, hey, you know, we could work with churches across the country who'd be willing to join place-based cohorts to really better understand their neighborhoods and better partner with them. Uh, and they said, yes. So uh, in 2020, we got the announcement, hey, we're going to go in. It's a five-year million-dollar grant. Uh, to try to la- launch other cohorts in other cities. Um, so, yes, that's what we've been up to. We're in year three of that process. We've got two more to go, uh, and we've been working through uh, setting up, completing, uh, uh, trying to pitch cohorts in other areas. So, But maybe, David, so if you could say a bit about, like, well, what is a City Shapers cohort? What does it look like for a church that jumps in to be a part of that? So if I were to summarize, it's sort of like a rising church raises all parts of the neighborhood, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's yeah. one way to rephrase yeah. it, right? Um, and then the City Shapers cohort was a two-year sort of program mm-hmm. to sort of help churches and other parts of the community, right? All parts, all sectors invited to sort of build uh, a thriving neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a program that has six symposia, right? Six gatherings of trainings to talk about how do we move from uh, assessment uh, alignment and then towards activation, towards actually doing something. And so, um, it's a that that being sort of the outline of the city shapers cohort gave people some framework to join in and figure out what their part in this was and to see how churches were connecting to the neighborhoods. A lot of our first city catalysts were affiliated with churches, so. Uh, it seemed like, okay, they're they're the ones to help curate the people and help convene so that we can get some activity going on for people wanting to see their neighborhood flourish. Now, <laughs> it was a great idea, great plan. I think they call that a pregnant pause. Is yeah, that the word that, we're looking that for is, there? Yeah, that, uh... yeah. definitely. <laughs> that, that being the plan, um, and again, I think uh, when you come up with a plan in 20, you know, Prior, just before the yeah. pandemic in 2020. Predicting what you do for the next five years. It's, uh, something uh, might change. I don't know. The, the bold Wild and guess. delusional, right? It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's brave to be ignorant. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were very brave. Um, mm. And it seemed like uh, from the get-go, this was sort of um, a mess. Or it yeah. started to become a very uh, a fraught with learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so... What do you think, or how would you describe what happened next with our first couple of cohorts? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think what we there's a couple things. Um, one of the things we began to learn um, is the gap between churches mm-hmm. uh, and the other institutions, whether that be city government, for-profit businesses, other nonprofits. Because um, when we do the cohorts, it's multi-sector, so you got public, private, nonprofit. You got across the board; everybody's involved. Um, the gap of those institutions' desire to support a neighborhood and their actual connection to that neighborhood is more significant than we thought, mm-hmm. right? That, and I would say even, and that's not just a um, a misunderstanding we had. We found that as the process unfolded. Even those churches and other institutions were having the same realizations like, wow, we thought we had more credibility in this neighborhood. We thought we had more connection. But when we try to really get on the ground and do some of the work, we're realizing like this is going to take 10 times longer than we thought, um, that the the connectivity to place is very thin. Um, And so part of what that led us to do is say like, well, we need to do some research in what was our um, instinct was I think part of what we're dealing with is not just a programmatic challenge from congregations, yeah. but an identity problem um, that when we say thriving congregation, uh, does the mindset of a congregation connect that at all mm-hmm. to 
their connection to their neighborhood and their involvement. So we jumped into some research to say, okay, we've got some instincts here about there's an identity mission misalignment thing kind of going on. There's a definition problem of what thriving means or looks like. So we jumped into some research. So Becca, tell us how we began to say, well, let's, we've learned a few things. Let's, uh, yeah. let's scientifically test this and see what we discover. Yes. That, I think the key word in all of this is learned, right? Like I think mm-hmm. everything has just been, every iteration has been learning because when we started the research process, that was its own set of things. We learned about surveys and how surveys are really hard. It's yeah. really hard Doing to it get well is very difficult. a good survey out there mm-hmm. that people respond to and that they like start it and they finish it and they give you the results. And so after a lot of iteration, iterations and like learning from people out there, um, like Barna Group that actually know the mechanisms behind mm-hmm. survey, I think we finally got some results that we could really analyze and our hypothesis from the beginning, like you said earlier, was that churches who are more connected to their neighborhood um, are going to be thriving. And we were mm-hmm. like, because of that's kind of the foundation of our work, the idea that like um, neighboring and relationships is really at the core of all of this. And what we realized is that there is a little bit more of a negative correlation yeah. from our results between neighborhood connectivity and thriving as traditionally defined. Mm -hmm. And so kind of what you mentioned before is I think what this survey showed us and what the research that we did to build the survey showed us is that the way that we've defined thriving as churches and congregations for many, many years, those traditional definitions of what it means Mm -hmm. to be a church experiencing vitality are just so disconnected from the different standards of thriving in a community. Well, and what I found interesting was the disconnection was not just between churches and place. Right. It's also between between institutions, right? Yes. So mm. nonprofits that were nonprofits and city council people mm-hmm. and churches, even if they even if they worked in the same neighborhood, they rarely, if ever, knew right. each other really well enough to work on a project together. Exactly. And then I thought this was fascinating too, is as we were planning the surveys, was was like who should answer this survey? Right. Because there's disconnect within the church mm-hmm. about who is best equipped to answer the survey. Is it yeah. the missions pastor? Is it the youth pastor? Is it the right. senior pastor? And it's like, well, he may not be or she may not be the right person to answer this question. Exactly. But we got to give it to somebody. Mm-hmm. And then what do we do with there's different answers from within the same church? Mm-hmm. And if one person says, oh, I think we're doing great. And the right. other person's like, I don't know my neighbors <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. So it's a yeah. really fascinating, like, oh, this survey's... I don't know how we even begin to design this mm-hmm. complex of a survey because we didn't right. anticipate the level of disconnection at every level. And just like the level of like common language. Like I think we tried our hardest to put in language that we think would get yeah. cut and get to the heart of the matter. But how we define like a perspective on like local missions and being connected, like as a mechanism of being connected to your physical neighborhood and the area surrounding your church, the local missions defined across the board. The United States. Can just be, yes. It, I mean, it's going to be completely different. There might be a church that says, yeah, we do local missions like in our city. And I'm like, but it's like an hour away from maybe where their actual location is. Yeah. And realizing that like within the church, outside of the church, we just don't have a common definition or a language for any of this stuff. And so like you said before, it really is an issue of definitions and language and of like 
orientation towards all of this Mm. rather than just this idea of like, are we thriving? Are we not? It's like, how are we even talking about this in the first place? Well, and what's Mm. fascinating is one of the, (laughs) some of the comments were, is this a, it seemed politicized. Yes. Like, are you coming from a conservative Mm -hmm. or liberal background? And it just felt felt funny. I was like, oh, we just meant love your neighbor. (laughs) Is this biblical? Like, isn't this part of the source code for you? It's like, oh, I know where you're coming from. You watch too much CNN and (laughs) why are you asking me this, right? Which, uh, and that was the part that was really fascinating that I think in not just the three of us who have somehow a thousand years of church experience. I don't know how the math plays out, but (laughs) But it works. And and maybe 24 (laughs) theological degrees. I think like, and across conservative liberal institutions, Mm -hmm. I I feel like our our palette is fairly refined. I'm kind of getting like words that the general public would just seem like a random word. Like, Ooh, this word's gonna set people off. Like we, we we Mm kind of know that landscape and we're working with with Barna, and we're working with Dave Cresta, who's also immersed in this world. So there's a pretty big table of people who know the landscape of kind of all the, right. the Christian yeah. ease and the different denominations. And even in all of that, and how like how much care was put into the language to even have those responses of like, oh, this is clearly too liberal mm-hmm. leaning. And it was like these questions were just about community right. service, care about poverty, and it's like oh, th- th- this is again. I think again back to identity stuff is that yeah. we. If we've put the framing of something that's in thousands of passages of scripture, if we've we've put that in the hands of a of an American partisan group, yeah. mm-hmm. that's a, that's 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 problematic, right? right? That 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 issues, yeah. And so it's like, okay, we're so again, we're not just up against. Um, I think all churches, regardless of kind of whatever stripe they're a part of, is like, oh yeah, they all want to do good. They want to do service projects. They know they know being kind and being generous. Like we're all kind of on board with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but an idea of like our identity, what it means to be church, what it means to yeah. be congregation, like means love of neighbor, not just love of people, right? Because it doesn't say love God, love people. It mm-hmm. says love God, love neighbor. So like love of neighbor engagement in place is is really a um, has almost has become foreign to even what we how would we even conceive of our spiritual identity as individuals or our collective identity as a congregation. Um, so I think the challenge uh, is is much more uh, core versus just so oh, this is just programmatic. This is right. about certain practices that we need to engage or not engage with. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's right. The the distance between place and uh, like. Our places it feel foreign to us. Mm-hmm. Like I, mm-hmm. I think that's the the one of the revelations of both the survey that we've produced, and I'd stay, still still say that the survey is still in a work in progress. Like yeah. uh, finding those initial results means oh we might have to go back to the workshop, figure out how to retool and ask questions about are you rural? How close are you? you know what's your population and and uh, what do you mean by right. neighbor? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you mean by justice? And what mm-hmm. do you mean by mission? Because like you said, mm-hmm. local missions doesn't mean the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It should be something more proximate. But I think that even in the places where we live, we are distant from, like, we only yeah. know the routes that we run, the the yeah. routines that we have for grocery shopping and, you know, dog mm-hmm. parks and stuff like that. But yeah. outside of that, we, we live really isolated lives. Yeah. 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 And therefore, the idea of the church thriving, the neighborhood, it barely makes a sound in the neighborhood, which mm-hmm. is a fascinating finding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's... I mean, we call this podcast Place Matters. Like, I think at the heart of it, we have a place problem. And Mm -hmm. we either think of place in an ideological, like, more spiritual, wistful sense, or we think about place in a physical sense. And we, I think we sometimes have trouble, like, 
having those two be in play together of like, yeah. what does it mean to be in place from a, a little bit more like abstract con conceptual like perspective, but also what does it mean to be like rooted in the place that I live? And I think if you're talking about place and community work and congregational thriving from, you know, a church and neighborhood perspective, you have to really dig into both sides of those mm -hmm. things. And I really, I just don't think we're good at that. I mean, I personally am not always good at that. Mm. And I think that's, that kind of, we started to realize that that maybe was at the heart of the matter, mm. the further we dug into the research. Yeah. 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 And I think there's, so whatever the timeline is of the, the mission trip movement, mm. like it is now an, an actual industry. There are companies that, yeah. that run mission trip work for, for churches, for college groups, youth groups, adult groups. Uh, which has not always been the case. Like missions has for much of kind of evangelical and, and even, uh, you know, mainline Christianity has been this thing that you do in, quote, poor countries, right? But I think over the last 40, 50 years, there's been this movement of like mission trips for spring break. For summer, it's become a part of like normal church culture to have that, um, which I think in some level also like uh, helped to spawn the like service project movement of like it's a normal thing now for churches to have a serve the city day or for yeah. youth groups to do service projects. Like that's now a, a normal thing to do. And I think even, and when you, so the one congregation in particular for years had been doing a lot of the mission trips to other States and cities um, and had local uh, service projects they were doing, but it was all like in the, as they would call it, the inner city, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 20 minutes away. So not terribly far, but also a very different reality. Um, I remember working with them and saying, and just kind of asking like some of the, questions about their immediate context, mm. you know, not the heart of the city, but the part of the city they, they lived in. Uh, and like, what was interesting, not a single staff person lived anywhere, like really near the building. None of them could walk there for sure. Um, uh, and like in the youth programming, um, a single digit percentage at best, like attended any of the local schools that the, that the congregation was located in. Um, there were a lot of teachers that went to that congregation, but none of them taught in the local school system. Mm. And so immediately there's a massive gap from the ecosystem that the building is located in. But in that, in that ecosystem where the building is located, there's refugees from all over the world. So groups that churches mm. would tend to think these are our, mm -hmm. the mission field is right here. We think about who people are socially or economically marginalized. Uh, again, we can unpack all those problems, <laughs> but like, but what they thought of as service right. or mission was, was, was somewhere else in the city. And they were completely unaware of like the, the, the social dynamics that were playing out in their own mm. kind of neighborhood. Um, and I, and again, like, and, and even the shift of that awareness, like it still lived in the category of like a mission or service project mm -hmm. versus like, these are our neighbors. These are other humans. I'm not here to serve, but here to live in community with and like join together in a shared destiny. So, so, so even where you see some like immediate local service, it still feels so different from what it means to just be a part, an authentic part of your, your place, you know? Right. Yeah, and if there's any institution that sort of should have a compelling sort of mandate to recognize there is there should be a very thin line mm -hmm. or at least semi-permeable barrier between us and them, mm -hmm. right? It should mm -hmm. be, I would think it should be the church. I hate to like put should on yeah. the church, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, who needs who needs another obligation or duty? But it's... In, it's mm. It's from the mouth of Jesus. Right. So it's like, <laughs> it's a little bit of a I can maybe say that. <laughs> uh, you know, go into all the world. Anyway. Right. So, He's always so complicated. Yeah. But, but the, then the thing is, and this is the trouble with 
with the us and them being mm-hmm. sort of a pronounced or even unconscious sort of barrier is that, like you said, they, they could be right under your nose mm. and mm-hmm. still think, oh, they're not us. Right. Mm-hmm. They can never be part of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. growing up as an immigrant kid uh, with an immigrant church, it felt safe to be around more people like me because mm-hmm. it was rare to have that time of the week where I could be around people. Like, yeah. I could be an us. Yeah. I didn't always have to be a them. Mm. But uh, I wonder how that shifts as we as communities mature. Right. Uh, when will hmm. I be able to be part and be able to partake in the us? And and maybe it's hard to s- get these static s- snapshots. Uh, but I think that the idea is that it should be a growing sense that they're that they are my neighbor, and right. that that sense of place should drive the conversation as opposed to who are you, where are you from. It's it's we're in this we're in this neighborhood together. Therefore, I yeah. I cheer for you. I want you to thrive. And I don't. Again, I, you, churches interpret that very various different ways. But what was clear from the data is that the the distance between church and neighborhood is immense, even mm-hmm. if they're right next door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey guys, just jumping in real quick to say that we would love to take your church and local partners through our two-year cohort process called City Shapers. The cohorts that are launching this year will be funded partially by Lilly Endowment, so it's a great time to get involved. We have had three communities go through this process so far and would love to bring it to you next. So contact us today to learn more at fcsministries.org. It's almost like there's this level of, like discomfort with digging into my own place because it feels too close, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're asking the question of like, who is my neighbor? It's almost easier to be able to go out and look, you know, here, there, another place rather than take the second to be like, oh, I need to look at the people that are like immediately. see me in my pajamas going to my mailbox. Exactly. (laughs) That are immediately right next to me. And I mean, it makes me think of like in like the early like Acts 2 church mm-hmm. that talks about how like the believers are together. They have everything in common. They share things with people who need it. Mm-hmm. They, you know, break bread in their homes. They eat together. They, no one needs for anything. No one has excess. We won't go there. Communist. <laughs> and they, <laughs> but like, and it doesn't say the believers were together and they said, let's go drive 20 minutes. I mean, they couldn't drive, but you get it. Let's hop on a donkey. Let's for an hop hour. on a donkey and we're just gonna go a couple villages over. It was mm-hmm. what where am I? Where am I located? Who are the people around me? And how do we make sure that we have what we need? So yeah. that is a subject of a book <laughs> called The Big Sort, where we hmm. talk about how we're starting to self-sort, yeah. right? Yes. We're starting to sort ourselves based on our cultural, economic mm-hmm. preferences. And and what this also reveals is that sometimes it's political, religious preferences as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And anything that disturbs those preferences. And uh, and this is the fascinating thing. I don't know if the data shows if it's a self-conscious, like, oh, mm. I don't want to be around those people. There's all these like unconscious biases yeah. that we sort of approach. And so when we drive through a neighbor, it's like, does this feel mm. like I would like mm-hmm. to be here? Does it reflect who I am? Right. And then we start to just... We start to uh, self-segregate, which yeah. is fascinating because the the fact that it's not, let's say, um, like driven by the government or, you know, where it's like back in the days of segregation. Yeah. It's interesting that when we segregate ourselves, we might be far more harsh mm. than, than it would be when it was mm. legal. Yeah. 
uh, yeah. which is kind of terrifying. Yeah. We're, we're far more willing to uh, right. create that distance between mm-hmm. myself and my... Uh, I don't want them to be my neighbors, but all my neighbors look like me, think like me, talk like me. And it's easier. It's easier. And then it makes me think about if you know how to drive through a neighborhood and instinctively be like, oh, this is a neighborhood I belong in. Mm. We also know how to drive through neighborhoods and be like, oh, this is one that I should be serving. You know, mm. And I, th- I think th- so even yeah. the congregations that have a more uh, active presence in their immediate geographical spot uh, and are actively trying to participate in some sort of social good, yeah. some sort of service, ministry, call it what you want, mm-hmm. there's still a profound difference in serving or neighboring. Because yeah. like if you're a neighbor that human is a subject. If you're serving, that human is an object. Uh, and I think there's a profound difference between the two. And I think, so part of what we're trying to get at, in, whether it's in the survey or City Shapers, or what we're doing is like, how do we um, bring churches into becoming a neighbor, right? To becoming human alongside other humans, uh, to get bound up in the, whether it be social, economic, whatever, whatever the injustices or inequities are in that place, like how does that become a part of your sense of identity, right? And I think it's more common for us to find individuals, whether they're leaders of congregations or members of them, that like have taken that on as, yeah. as a way of life versus mm-hmm. like a collective, a congregation who's saying yeah. like, this is, this is part of who we are and, why, and, and you know, why we're here. Yeah. So, but one of the things we've learned in, in doing a few cohorts now is that there's a skill set or there are skill sets that are mm-hmm. sort of missing from mm-hmm. churches where we initially thought churches would be amazing partners and catalysts and, yeah. and curators and conveners. And we're recognizing it's not that they're not, they're not terrible at it, but they're not as good as we thought. Mm. And they're not as good as they thought. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, part of this requires some community organizing, mm-hmm. uh, facilitation, yeah. even just the work of convening. And hosp- I think the general value is hospitality, but not with the sense of like, we need to, ch- like the neighborhood needs to flourish. It's more like, I just want to bake you a casserole. Right. But mm-hmm. that's very different from like, let's make sure no one else in this neighborhood goes hungry. Mm-hmm. That's a very different type of convening, right? Yeah. And so I think those are some skill sets. Did you, do you guys notice anything else that's sort of, hey, we need to teach some basic skills or some skills need to be a part of this process? Mm. Yeah, one I would point to, uh, maybe some help naming what the skill is. Um, so I think... Churches are more eager to do a City Shapers-like process with other churches Hmm. from their same kind of like cultural theological orientation. Uh, Churches are less skillful at entering a room that the center is the neighborhood and the neighborhood's issues, not the church and their issues, right? Um, That it's... um, they're better at walking into collaborative conversations when we all assume the needs, challenges, pain points of being a church in the 21st century. Like we all get it and are living in it, and like and we can all operate out of these these similar unspoken assumptions. But like to ask a congregation, say, "No, we want you to join a collaborative table mm-hmm. for the sake of the neighborhood." But the people at that table may be from other religious traditions may be of no religious tradition. They may be public. They may be private. They may be nonprofit. Um, they may be coming out of radically different orientations that you're coming out of. And do you have the ability to, like, play in that space? Uh, and I think um, churches struggle in that space. Because even when churches tend to do 
service-related things, they tend to be in, in charge of that. They tend right. to not be the partners of someone else's initiative. It's pretty rare if you, you kind of look at like on the, on the web pages of a church, like their, their kind of service stuff. Like they, they tend to be like deciding what to do. They own the budget for it. They staff for it. They recruit the volunteers for it. They print the t-shirts for it. Like the initiative really lives in their hands. Mm-hmm. And so even though they're serving, there's a dynamic of power and control mm. that's pretty, pretty plain. But when you, when you're called into room, we're like, you're not setting the agenda. Right. You're not driving the conversation. You are one participant among many who's centering on the good of your neighbor, the good of the neighborhood. And that's a, that is a skill set. I'm not sure what you call it, but that there's a skill set that I think takes a level of comfort that is normally not, not there, at least in our experience. Ecumenical sandbox, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or is it yeah. that verse from Jeremiah 29, seek the shalom of the city, yeah. right? Yeah. Seek the good of the city. Mm-hmm. And mm. we're like, well, we're trying to seek the good of our church. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And it, sometimes it kind of shows, especially when you're in a group that's diverse. It's mm. like, uh, well, right. I guess this isn't about me anymore. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, will you still play? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> And we've had some leaders come in and be intrigued, but as soon as they're recognizing that the center of this, uh, even though our concern is for thriving congregations, so we could agree on those those terms or whatever, but when right. they find out like our path towards that is getting you embedded with your neighborhood and your neighbors, like mm-hmm. then you can see a key leader is like get less interested and they want to kind of grab the missions pastor right. and say, hey, you, you, you take this, it. let me know how it goes, but I'm going to go run the real business of the church. You kind of right. see right. how this little mission thing works out with a few people in our church who kind of have a heart for that mm-hmm. versus like, no, this this is about us as a congregation. It's about our future. Yeah. It's about our presence. It's about our identity. Uh, and that's just a harder level to to yeah. get at in this To space. be fair yeah. to, to be churches. Fair. The, so the counterpoint is most nonprofits have a mission that they don't want to stray very far from. Correct. Right. So, you know, the the... If a nonprofit also enters a coalition space mm-hmm. and they ask, "Is this outside my swing zone?" Correct. They they will often lose uh, mm-hmm. attention and and commitment as well. Yeah. Yeah. But we, you know, again, churches should be more broad. Right. That the, if they're seeking the the shalom of the city, mm-hmm. you would think that they would be interested. But sometimes when it's uh, we we see every we see people mm-hmm. sort of yeah. their agenda starts to show a little. Because anything that invites the question is like, do you need to reevaluate your swing zone? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And and sometimes that's that is the case, even at like nonprofits that have yeah. a more narrow scope. But like thinking about it, I th- I think we've had a lot of conversations about churches. It's not necessarily that they're teaching or not talking about the right thing. We're just like not mm. talking about community mm. and neighborhood to the level that we wish we would and that we feel that we might should be, you know, like where it's not like it's, oh, you're saying the wrong thing or you're interpreting this passage of scripture wrong or you're not, you know, you're preaching one thing and doing another. It's, we're just, we don't know how to do it. And we don't know how to like teach to the depth of what it really means. Like you said in that verse to like seek the shalom of the neighborhood, like Mm -hmm. to seek the shalom of the city. Like it's almost like we haven't reckoned with what that really means. And I think sometimes that starts with the humility of being a church that showed up to that sandbox and saying, I want to be a part of this, but I feel scared and a little bit threatened. And I just am going to name that. Mm. And then we're going to enter into Which it. We would be, I mean, we'd be standing on our chairs celebrating. Right. With, and because just, just, start just from putting that spot. it out there, I think is enough to then be like, okay, like mm-hmm. we've said it out loud. We're not trying to hide behind it. We know that mm-hmm. it's there. And so when we come across, you know, a speed bump, we can go back to, we know that this is going to be a point of tension and, yeah. and that's okay because this is in a lot of ways, 
newer territory than maybe it should be. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that nuance because we, uh, you know, churches can be so good about delving into like the nitty gritty mm-hmm. on like, oh, hermardiology, you know, let's <laughs> really break this down. Uh, did, he just, did he just make up a word? Right, right. <laughs> homo Lucius. I thought that grad school. <laughs> well, come on, come on, guys, you know. Right. And is, it homo Lucius? is it homo Lucius? <laughs> homo Yeah, we're starting, yeah. you know, and you're like, you're, what do you mean by essence? Come on. <laughs> right. You're willing to talk about that to that nano yes. level of specificity. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about helping your neighbor, is mm-hmm. it relief? Is it advocacy? Is it activism? Is it development? Like, is it oh. education? Like get get as specific mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. helping your neighbor right. and loving your neighbor as you are with sin, uh, discipleship, mm-hmm. you know, holiness, liturgy, the Eucharist. sacraments, Eucharist. Yeah. Get as specific with this side yeah. because this is where your neighbor lives. This is they're not asking questions of how many angels mm-hmm. dance on the top of a pit, right? They're asking <laughs> questions of how am I going to feed my family? Yeah. Wh- why can't I afford a house in this neighbor? Why am mm-hmm. I going to be a per- perpetual renter? Like they're asking questions about how do I live? Right. Mm-hmm. And how do we s- share this goodness? Mm-hmm. Because we have enough. Yeah. yeah. We should have enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we sometimes it, it feels like the church doesn't have enough time or patience yeah. Yeah. Uh, to want to work. At some level, I, I think... Uh, this conversation can feel daunting, complicated, overwhelming, and I totally get why why it does. And like some level, like to say this could be uh, immensely simple, mm-hmm. right? At some level, Jesus said, "Listen, there are two things, and everything else hinges off of that." Like, let me give you the spark notes of all spark notes. Like, you love God with all that you are, and you love your neighbor, right? Yeah. Like, the, the, at some level, like this is what this is about. Um, and, um, we don't like to your point about granularity, like we don't resist complication and granularity to things that matter at our gut level. Mm. But as soon as like loving our neighbor or, or the Shalom of the city gets really complicated, it's political, it's weird, it's hard, it's expensive. Like there's like, oh, it's not, oh, okay, never mind. It was kind of a, it yeah. was kind of a bonus points thing and we don't really need to do it. But like, if we come to the place of this is who we are, this is our very spiritual theological heritage and identity then you you can't not back away from the implications of all of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, if I make a guess, if I'm going to make a guess, that part of why all of us across across the political spectrum are disgusted, annoyed, defeated, whatever about the political environment, uh, there's probably a lot of reasons. But one would be I think we've lost confidence that our leaders, no matter what party they represent, are not concerned with the welfare of all of us. They're mm-hmm. concerned with the welfare of their campaign or their yeah. position of power, right? Yeah. Across the board, whatever camp you're in. Um, and they're playing a game that we don't care about because like ultimately, even even if you as a political leader agree with me, I know what you're up to is your own well-being, right? right? And I think that translates to what churches, what nonprofits, what city governments. I mean, we were just visiting a client uh, in another state and city to leave them unnamed, uh, and there, there's some kind of issues functioning with the city government. And a part of the conversation, that awkward conversation we're leaning into is like, are we really out for the good of this neighborhood or the the, the stable um, view of your campaign or your political well-being, right? Because what we all ought to be, like what, what I would most fall in love with from a political leader is if I've got a genuine sense of like, you actually don't care if you're elected or not, if you succeed or not, if if what you advocate for is for the good of this community, you'd go down in flames because that matters more to you. Yeah. I was like, now that's that's what I could get on board for, and I think our neighborhoods want that. Like, I, I don't I don't think there's a uh, I don't think neighborhoods resist religion in most places. I think vast majority of communities are 
happy that religious institutions are there. Yeah. I think what they want to know is like, are you in this for me or are you in this for your institution, right? Are you in this yeah. for us as a neighborhood? Um, and that's, again, that's the piece. Like, can we get people to a level of being a neighbor and a human being amongst other human beings, letting yeah. yourself get caught up in that? Um, again, it, it feels complicated and it is, uh, but at some level there's a, there's a, there's a clarity of simplicity that this is about what it's always been about, you know, love God and, and by nature, love where the image of God is stamped. And that's on your neighbor. That's, that's in your neighborhood. Yeah. Well yeah. I heard it described once as everything that we like do or say or believe, um, like basically like truth that we cling to should all fall through the colander. That is those two commandments that like mm. everything gets mm. filtered through mm. that. Mm. And so that what comes out is ultimately that like purest form of like love and expression for both God and neighbor mm. because it's come through this filter um, and mm. it's, it's caught the stuff that maybe we don't need. It's sifted out the things that, you know, maybe we're vestiges of our own power and control. And what comes out is, is this idea that, yeah, we're doing this because we're for each other. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is it, you know, the, the, uh, pithy turn of phrase that I'm sure we could figure out who actually said it because it wasn't me. It's this idea of like, does um, does the church have a mission or does God have a mission and therefore a church, <laughs> you know, to to be about and all of that. And there's some, again, something about for God so loved the church that it would have uh, exciting worship services. Not for God so loved the world, right? This is like, right. it's always been about that. And, um, and like for, at some level, I think, some comforting news. It doesn't matter if you're huge church, huge budget. You're tiny with a bivocational pastor and very little budget. Doesn't matter if you're like high liturgy or or, or community church, like, like if you're an autonomous congregation or a networked denomination of some kind. Like it actually doesn't matter. Yeah. Like none of that is gonna. It will only get in your way in as much as you allow it to. Like you can be as liturgical as you want to be. You can right. be as free flowing and charismatic as you want to be. Like. Um, my neighbor doesn't give a flip about any of that, right? Yeah. Like, uh, they they want to be my neighbor, uh, yeah. right? right? And I think, can we? Yeah, and I think again, that's I think what this initiative is about for us. And we're to what Becca said, like the big word for us is learning, and we are we are in it for the long haul, and, long, and we're like in the weeds with congregations, with their yeah. local partners. Um, of can we get back to the simplicity that matters and let the complications kind of flow out of out of all that. Well, and I'm excited about this yeah. series because mm-hmm. as a special sort of project, I think it it really covers a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. And it's probably just the first of many series that kind of, you know, gets down into the nitty gritty talking to various aspects of this. Was there any sort of conversation that caught your attention or is like, oh, this this might be my favorite of this mm-hmm. series? Mm-hmm. I can't tell you what's favorite. That'd be that'd be. You un- know, they would know that we're picking, picking favorites. They're all, all my. I love all my children equally. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I got to be in a conversation with um, Dave Cresta and um, mm-hmm. Daniel Copeland at Barna, and I think just talking to them about their inspiration and their connection to this work. Really, they're more on the like research and application side, which Mm -hmm. I think is like an area that we're flexing our muscles in for the first time where we've typically, you know, been about, you know, going and training people and doing these things, but really the, the collecting the research, the gathering some of this and analyzing it is a little bit new. And so hearing their perspectives on it, I think was really exciting because it made me feel like, Oh, like they want to look into what's happening. Um, 
just as much as we do and they have a different perspective on it. They know how to do it in a different way. They come at a different angle mm -hmm. and it makes you feel less alone in, yeah. in this work. Cause this is big. And like you said, we're mm -hmm. committed to it. It's a long and complicated process. And sometimes it can make you feel a little bit like, whew, like I am out of breath and I don't know what I can do. And then the next thing you know, you look over your shoulder and they're jogging behind you and being like, okay, we're going to keep going. We're going to go another <laughs> mile. And they have a, you know, Different, different style about it that I think is it just is refreshing and it, it helps me decide that it that I can keep working towards it. Yeah, I like yeah. that conversation as well. So it's cool. Really mm -hmm. interesting to hear data people mm -hmm. talk about what kind of church who care they want very to deeply to. about this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's so awesome. Yeah, I think again, I'm I'm David. I'm like you. I think I'm incredibly excited about the content. There's a lot of brilliant people coming out of this. I think what in, the pieces that intrigue me the most is for the the folks who are and they're, they're, this is across different episodes. Um, are the conveners. Mm. Um, so even though we work with churches, our industry isn't church-centric first, right? It's neighborhood-centric first. Uh, but they're, but a lot of the folks on this series, they are centered on day in, day out, 24-7. They're thinking about this question of churches in their place. Mm. Um, and so they have a really unique perspective on what it, what it means to not just be a single congregational leader, which we have that, but we also have people who are working with congregations across the United States, trying to mobilize them and get them engaged in this. And I think their insight on what's working, what's not working, what the journey ahead looks like. To me, that's, I think, some of the richest content that'll uh, be unfolded. But I'm, I'm excited for our, our yeah. listeners to be able to engage with the, some really brilliant people yeah. in this process. Yeah. Well, and one of the most fascinating things to me was the fact that so many of us who work at FCS, who oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> have a lot of experience serving in churches in the church context. So I also find that it's fascinating the, to have a conversation inside the house mm -hmm. about why and how some of us arrived here doing neighborhood-centric work uh, when before we were serving in sort of yeah. churches of worship, mm -hmm. or houses of worship. Yeah, it's going to be good. It excited. is. Good yeah. stuff ahead. You should keep listening. And thank you for <laughs> you two and your brilliant work. I've been fascinated by what you guys are pulling off, too. Ah, thanks. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. All right. One of the best ways that we can offer to see what it looks like to partner well with the neighborhood is for you to come here for a visit. We love hosting guests in historic South Atlanta. In the spring and the fall, we host a two-day immersive event called Open House. So please come, meet our team, see the work, walk our neighborhood. To register for this, go to fcsministries.org slash openhouse. Place Matters is produced by Focused Community Strategies, whose mission it is to partner with under-resourced neighborhoods to provide innovative and holistic development that produces flourishing communities and God's shalom. Place Matters is hosted by FCS's training and consulting team. If you'd like to inquire about our training and consulting services, please reach out to us via our website or find us on LinkedIn and social media. This information can be found in the show notes. If you'd like to watch these episodes, the video can be found on our YouTube channel. And if you like these episodes, please share them on social media. Your support means a lot to us. The show was edited by Tim Rhodes with music by Eric North. Special thanks to David Park, Becca Klein, and Rose Silva at FCS for their work in organizing and recording these sessions. We would like to say thanks to our partner, Lily Endowment Inc., whose Thriving Congregations grant has made this podcast possible. Mm -hmm.